The Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Welcome to the Startup Women Podcast, a show where we connect you, Canada's powerful cohort of women-identifying founders, to real stories and case studies of women-building businesses, supported by true, tactical advice from thought leaders and industry experts. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO of Startup Canada. Each month, I'll be sharing the mic with one founder and one expert. Together, we will dive into real stories and scenarios and uncover actionable advice for women entrepreneurs across Canada. From funding and hiring to sales and scaling strategies, on this show, we cover the most important topics so you can deconstruct the challenges of starting and running a business with knowledge that goes beyond the surface level. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Startup Women podcast and to our final Startup Women episode of 2023. Before we begin, I'd like to share an exciting announcement with all of you. Our partners at BDC are excited to announce their Thrive Lab for Women. The Thrive Lab will provide $100 million in equity and equity-like investments to women-led businesses that are impact-driven. The Thrive Lab is now investing, and you can apply now at bdc.ca. A Google search for support for women entrepreneurs can populate a ton of results. Could there be that there is too much support for women entrepreneurs? Some may think so. Others may say that there simply is not enough. But what if the challenge isn't what is available, but what is valuable? In today's episode, we speak with Connor Phillips in Saskatchewan and Natasha Peter in the Yukon. Both of these women are members of our SWAN program, the Startup Women Advocacy Network. It's important to speak with women across the country to really understand as many entrepreneurship experiences as we can. And of course, we do this throughout the year on this show, but it was a pleasure to learn more about Connor and Natasha's specific journeys in corners of Canada we often don't hear from. In this episode, we talk about organizations and relationships that have truly supported them and also hear about the challenges that they face in Saskatchewan the Yukon, and all across Canada. Welcome to the Startup Women Podcast. On the show today, we are so excited to have Connor and Natasha join us for this episode. Connor Phillips is an innovator, creative problem solver, and passionate communicator based in Saskatchewan. All these skills allow her to operate Pathfinder 365 a digital tourism community marketplace built on interactive maps. Pathfinder 365 gives small and medium-sized businesses the opportunity to promote and market everything they want the world to know about them and makes it easier for travelers, adventurers, and activity seekers to discover them. Natasha Peter also joins us. Natasha is from Ross River in the Yukon. Natasha is a member of the Wolf Clan and Casca First Nations. Natasha is the mind and hands behind Casca Dena Designs, where she creates pieces that are traditional, 
modern, and luxurious, including everything from clothing to jewelry. After navigating a very dark time in her life, Natasha turned to creating and realizing her skills were a source of healing and gave her purpose and direction. Cascadena Designs is a way to honor Natasha's elders who taught her how to sew, and she plans to pass these skills on to her own daughter. Welcome to the show, Connor and Natasha. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you, Kayla. It's awesome to be here. Guys, we are so excited to be featuring our incredible SWAN members on today's episode. Um, and we're going to be doing a great overview of you know where women's entrepreneurship is in 2023, the support that you've accessed, resources you'd recommend, um, and really get a glimpse into both of your stories because you both have incredible stories that we've been telling as a part of the SWAN network. So Connor, I want to kick things off with you. Can you tell us about your business, why you started it, its size, its scale today? Bring us on the whole journey. The whole journey. That began probably about three years ago, at least, actually. It's funny. I think it began around a campfire. Uh, We were at a a, a, a backcountry horseback riding excursion in northern Saskatchewan. And I was talking to a couple people from uh, Luxembourg um, about finding things to do in Canada. And, uh, and, and they love Saskatchewan a lot too. So it was finding things to do in Saskatchewan, just navigating, um, the space. Cause we have a lot of space uh, as well. There's a lot of distance between a lot of the activities, um, <clears throat> and, uh, sites and experiences here. So it was, um, yeah, that's really kind of where a lot of that conversation began. And I also work for a large resort here in, Sas- in Saskatchewan for, um, total of about six years crossing the pandemic through uh, with a pause in the middle of the beginning of the, sorry, at the very beginning of the pandemic. And then for about six months and then new ownership came into play. And, and then I worked with them for another, another year. So, um, and so through that six years as well, uh, it was, there was just never anything that was really built to support us or really an online digitization platform that was truly built to promote small businesses and being a, and a lot of tourism too faces being a destination. A lot of it, other than the urban center, there's a lot of activities and accommodations that are outside of urban centers. And so then they not only have to battle all the normal small business stuff, they also are a destination. So being able to continuously nurture, say your 40% return visits and, and that flexes a lot too, um, but also nurturing a continuous influx of new business for all these small businesses, tens of thousands of them across Canada. It's just kind of a, this constant uphill battle. And the majority of tourism business owners are actually more kind of passionate technicians by, by their, their intent. They get into business because they just love the thing that they do. So like, you know, I always, I often use the example axe throwing, you know, they, they, most people didn't get into business to because they wanted to start a business and they decided axe throwing was it usually it starts the other way around where they love throwing sports they love you know knives and the elegance of the of the of the art of throwing um bladed weapons and stuff like that and and then they think well i really want to show people how cool this is you know and let other people experience it and so then they build a business around that passion and that's how most of these businesses start so then they have to deal with all the business stuff. And so that's where essentially Pathfinder came. I just was pacing in my house one day and, and I thought of a map and realized if we put all small tourism businesses on a map, 
and didn't make them pay to play, didn't put advertising, you know, make them have to pay for a certain advertising amount to get to the top of that top 10 list or, you know, or have unethical algorithms muddling things about, then they could actually, um, you know, maybe truly have a digital space that supported them. And then if we build tools, you know, all the tools, like most tourism businesses need a similar, you know, uh, grouping of tools like promoting jobs. Tourism and hospitality has a, a has a t typically a very transient job nature. A lot of it is seasonal, um, but then a lot of too, um, you'll find a lot of people change jobs every two to three years, and they will go from Vancouver to Toronto in one hop because they just they they love traveling with their job, and so they they're they're like career travelers, and it's really interesting. So there's always this uh, need to find people and they do tend to stay in that sector. The pandemic did definitely mess that up a fair bit. A lot of people had to exit that sector and now it's been really struggling to get people back. But um, that's, that's just another layer of the, or the already existing challenge. So, um, and then of course, promoting their experiences and their events and festivals and just notifications and updates. And, it's kind of like, like Facebook does some things, but you have to be following that particular business and you have to, you know, you have to know about them. And that's the thing. Like if you don't have a way to discover things and there's just really, there's nothing to discover. I thought, you know, we really want to build a discovery engine, something that you can truly explore and discover all the awesome things that there are across Canada and, and right in your backyard. So that's uh, where Pathfinder came in and, and I just started saying yes to everything and joining things and, and uh, embarking on this crazy technology startup journey. So yeah, and we'll be talking about all the resources you leveraged along the way. But I, I love this idea of like democratizing the access, right? All these incredible, you know, artisans and folks selling various products or services or adventures or experiences. Like there's so much out there. Um, if you don't have, you know, extreme proficiency in understanding Google paid AdWords, you know, all these different things, how are you supposed to compete? Um, and having this type of platform is, I think, such a beautiful way to really showcase the vibrance of different local communities. And myself as someone who loves to travel, I would love to see this in all these different, you know, rural, urban, all these different centers that I can really support those lo local ecosystems with my purchasing power and with my money when I come traveling. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So, Natasha, same question. Walk us through, you know, your journey. What was your sort of entrepreneurial adventure and, and what brought you to today? Well, <laughs> um, <clears throat> it goes far back. I, I actually was raised in a, a creative environment. My parents and my grandparents and everybody that I grew up with, they all liked to create uh, traditional clothing <laughs> And I never really liked it when I was growing up, but they kind of forced me into it. And <laughs> I always thought like, what's the point of doing this? Like, I don't like doing it kind of thing. But then, I don't know, it just grew on me because I was doing it for so long. And I remember my mom and dad, they would hold like workshops when I was little and they would bring me to their workshops and I'd always associate with other people. And I guess just throughout the years, it kind of just stuck with me. Um, and then at the age of 11, I guess, I had hit a really dark spot in my life. Um, and then I had wasted like 15 years of my life of 
from addictions. And I had, I felt like there was no way out for me at the time. And it was like really bad struggle for me. And I don't know, I just remembered my grandparents always saying that traditional ways are healing. And no matter how far you go away from home, you always have it in heart. Um, so I remembered that. And 15 years later, after my addictions, I had picked up my traditional skills that I was taught from a, at a young age. And <clears throat> as I was sewing and creating, I kind of just started doing it as like a hobby because I went back to school, went back to uh, the college here in Whitehorse to uh, upgrade and become a nurse because I wanted to start like going back into schooling and all of that stuff. <laughs> and anyways, the schooling didn't last as long as I thought because, you know, um, I'm a working woman. I always loved working and I ended up pushing school away and I continued working. And for some reason, I just stuck to uh, creating. And then two years later, after I was creating, I started noticing that it was healing me. Like I wasn't doing my addictions from what I was doing prior to that. And I really liked the feeling and I was challenging myself. And the next thing you know, it, I was starting to like sell around Canada, people from like BC, Alberta. And it was all from Facebook. I've never paid like a dime on advertising and it was just like going word to word and I was just traveling all over and I was getting all of these random custom orders I'm like oh my god this is crazy and I just started small like working from like small earrings to like moccasins and mucklucks and that I always challenged myself and the more that I kept doing it it just kept healing me more and more and I noticed that it was that it felt really good and I took another step into going to a, a professional therapist and that was about three years ago um, and I noticed after I got that help it had opened up my brain somehow <laughs> from like healing like healing is such a beautiful thing it's amazing what healing can do and after I started healing, I noticing that my work was starting to like improve better. My mind was like just going like very creative directions and my work was looking way better and I was challenging myself. And it seemed like everything that I was doing, it always turned out the way I wanted it or better. And I don't even have like schooling in like this kind of industry it's all like self-taught and like taught from my elders and I'm like to this day I surprise myself <laughs> um yeah and like the most important thing too about my business is that all of my grandparents and elders that I've grown up with that had that was beside me teaching these skills they're no longer here <clears throat> And which means I have that responsibility to teach my four-year-old daughter her dental skills. 
And I feel like that um, if it's not, if it wasn't for me to teach her that, maybe we'll lose the skills somewhere down the road. So I feel like it doesn't matter whether, like, if you're a hunter, like, passionate about hunting, passionate about, like, um, skinning moose hide and stuff like that, <clears throat> it all has that, that traditional skills that you have to pass along. And mine is creating clothing and jewelry. And that's what I pass on to my daughter and harvesting and hunting. And so <clears throat> I guess I turned my hobby into a business and I never thought it was going to turn out that way. And I just threw like random goals out there like speaking it out there and then it's amazing what you can do when you work your butt off <laughs> because I was able to go to New York within like when did I start doing my business full-time was two years ago I started doing it full-time I transitioned I left my like five-year uh job that was a really hard transition for me because I was always that was like my main income source. Mm -hmm. And it was like a really hard decision. But I took the faith and jumped into it. And at the beginning of it, I made these goals. And within like six months of those first months, I was able to reach my biggest goal for my business. Wow. And that was like going to New York and Paris. And that was pretty wild I went internationally within like six months of going into my business full-time and this was for New York Fashion Week in Paris <laughs> this Fashion was Week, right yes this was last year it was like back to back last year I worked so hard I went from like the Yukon to Alberta to fashion shows and then from there I went to like New York to Paris it just happened like so fast and by the end of the year because how busy I was and how focused I was I hit kind of like a what do you call it burnout at the end mm -hmm. <laughs> but I learned from that and I'm this year I'm taking it a little slower than I was last year mm. it's a learning process for sure like um I've been learning a lot and learning what I can and what I shouldn't and how to say no and stuff and everything that I do is kind of like mainly all self-taught and like observing other people and their business and like asking questions. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, it's just been a big, big whirlwind of like so much successful stories. And I'm pretty proud of that. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's great, Natasha. And you've covered so many <laughs> elements of, of, I think, what we're going <laughs> to really anchor today's conversation in. And while entrepreneurship can be very healing and bringing things into this world that are deeply important and, um, you know, that reflect our, our families and our ancestry and, you know, all of these, these beautiful things, the mental health of an entrepreneur is constantly very challenging. And I'm really glad that you brought that up as well, that, you know, often it looks like all of these entrepreneurs have it so together and, you know, things are beautiful and they see you at Paris Fashion Week and New York and, you know, all these different elements, yes. but it's incredibly demanding taking on new ventures, scaling businesses, supporting, you know, these, these incredible companies. You have to wear like so many different hats so as an many. entrepreneur and it's, it, it can be draining. But then after it's very 
awarding and it opens a lot of other opportunities I find. So let's talk about those opportunities. Let's jump into some of these sort of practical um, elements of, of sort of unpacking this a little bit further. So we've kind of gone through the through lines. Now our audience knows a little bit about Connor. You know a little bit about Natasha and where you both have come from. Um, and I really want to reflect on the idea of support. On the Startup Women podcast, we're constantly talking about, um, you know, different resources and mentors and and practical click here and find this type of template type of, you know, uh, recommendations. But when we look at the idea of support, if we almost like pull it back a couple of layers, when it comes to women, when it comes to women identifying founders in the entrepreneurship space in Canada, to both of you, what does it really mean? What does it feel like to feel supported as an entrepreneur in Canada? Connor, I would love your thoughts and I'll pass it over to Natasha. I think to to feel supported, you feel um, understood from a place of of um, kind of uh, where when people come, I don't know. It's because the tech startup journey is so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> when people truly understand what you're going through that it just, it means everything because, because they've gone through it. You can, if people that have started a business like a brick and mortar business or another type as well, or a creator business as well, there are similar challenges, uh, for sure. And you definitely feel that support by just by acknowledging, um, that understanding of what everybody, what we're each going through. And, you know, I've, I've talked to people and they've said the same thing. They said, nobody knows what we're going through. You know, and I've, I've talked to my, I can talk to my mom and my dad and my brothers and my older brother, he knows a little bit more because he did build a, a, he did build a business before. So he knows a little bit, but it also can sometimes be even confuse things a little more too when someone has built a business, but they haven't built a tech business because then they think it's like that. And the journey, it's just when you're, if you're able to bootstrap something and you're, or if you're, you, you know, the needs of your business are very different uh, than a tech startup it can convolute like how much more difficult a tech startup really is, you know, and how much more support you need, how much more connection you need, how much more time it takes and how stressful it is. Like it's, it's just, um, you kind of feel like you have burnout just lingering ahead of you just a few steps for a long time. And you feel like you can kind of keep pushing it away and maybe you go for a walk or maybe you go for like, um, just do that every day and stuff. Or you do like, therapeutic things and you kind of can keep it at bay but you see it ahead of you though you you know it's always there and you know how close it is and then if you if you do make a few wrong steps and stuff you're gonna you're gonna actually trip into it so it's kind of that's how I feel that I get like for a while there's always that beautiful honeymoon at the beginning I've seen so many people start uh, these tech startups and they're just so excited and and uh, and it's great and I don't I don't I never burst that bubble because the only way for to build a tech startup is to be naive about what's coming. If you knew what's coming, most people I think wouldn't do it. You know, I, I think uh, we just we need to have a little bit of just kind of purely live on hope, and and that's what you do building a tech startup throughout. You're you you have nothing but uncertainty ahead of you, but every day you get up with hope and a belief that you can get through it, and 
as soon as either one of those things stops, then the business will stop. So you have to, it's all about you. And then the more people you add to your team, now the more responsibility you have because their, their fate of their careers or, you know, their livelihoods to some extent are now in your hands as well. And, you know, and they, they, uh, they can be, that can be a bit of pressure as well, but it also can be hugely beneficial because they get inspired by the the whole thing. If you've put the right team together, you should never have to motivate anybody. If you have to find yourself having to motivate people, they're not the right team for a startup because a startup has to be fueled um, by everyone's passion. Everybody has to be their own little generator of passion for it and, and belief and hope and all that. And, and you just, as a leader, you want to make sure you don't demotivate people. <laughs> so, and, and that's something I've learned as well as well. That's my burden that I have to bear is just not letting them know how stressed I am or how the worries I have. That's not their problem, right? Their problem is to do their job and to be passionate and to do to you know to do their best at what they are doing. My problem is to bear the burden of the business and to be the leader and and to kind of uh, take that um, don't put that onto their plate. And I've seen some people do that where they almost want to because they're suffering. They want everyone around them to suffer as well, and it just doesn't. It's just not helpful and it doesn't work that way. And but that's where. The, my community comes into play because then my friends who are tech startups as well or our leader, you know, um, owners and uh, founders and owners of these startups, though, those are the ones I can lean on. I can't really lean on my family much. I can't lean on my, I call them normal friends much. They don't really get it. They're mostly employees. You know, they, they mostly have a really, it's almost fascinating to watch like that life that I used to be a part of. Like it's such a, such a different world. Well, you just like, just, go in and at a not of time and then you like stop at a time and then and you don't take any of it home with you and then you just have a normal evening and like you go do things wow like what a what a neat idea <laughs> I don't remember that anymore but um and uh but yeah but my tech community though here with uh, a lot of which uh, startup TNT has brought together they've really been a collator of uh of a lot of different groups They've brought them all together um, into a really cool community of, of passionate entrepreneurs that we can all gripe to each other about things and be passionate to one another, you know, about things and and uh, and and learn from each other and and take, you know, the wisdom of, of maybe people that are a bit further along and learn from their mistakes, learn from their their their, uh, you know, strokes of genius and and uh, just try to be supportive to one another and be a community and. That's what I'm always looking to do as well as like, I don't want to be a, just a, a taker where I just want, you know, people to listen to me and I want to take from the community. I really want to try and give to the community as well as much as possible. And, and, uh, and that's what it, that's what we all need, I think too. Yeah. So the support from, from your end is, is really rooted in that community that sort of shared lived experience and some machination of the entrepreneurial journey of, yeah. if, you know, some ingredient or the journey itself. Um, but really being seen and really yeah. being heard and being in that space. Yeah, Natasha, that's the core at, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. Natasha, when you look at your support, um, what has that felt like for you? Has that been in a different format? Has that um, looked different across your entrepreneurial journey? Walk us through what that, um, what feeling support has meant for you over, over the last couple of years. I'm going to have to say the main one is just being heard because I've come 
so far in my journey and healing and like overcoming addictions and stuff, being heard is like the most important part of all of that. During my healing, I had pushed a lot of people away and I kept only certain people, like only family. Um, and I kept my counselor in the circle and like just couple close friends that's about it that meant a lot to me that know what's really hurting me from the inside and that helps me and then there's the other part of the support is just like my social media because I I have both Instagram and Facebook and I like to post a lot of my journeys and I try to be as open about my business and my life to perhaps support somebody else in a way to give back to show them that you know things could be overcome you could achieve something that you put your heart to kind of thing and you know like having that system and having just people reaching out and supporting that helps too the other support too is just people like purchasing your items that you make so then you could keep building from it to move forward. So there's all sorts of different um, supporting systems that you can get help from. It's just a matter of just you wanting it and how bad you want it and pushing yourself to the limits to get where you want to be. That's the way I look at it. I love that, Natasha. And I think we're often in this um, in this conversation, especially when it comes to women identifying founders, talking about the lack of support, and we focus on you know the empty basin and, and um, you know struggling with um, either not having the financing or the mentors or the access or the capital, all these different elements, um, which can be often very draining. I think for a lot of women entrepreneurs, constantly coming against that conversation, and you know then we have an International Women's Day, we feel celebrated, yeah. and then we feel depleted all over again, and just going through that cycle. Um, and what I love that both of you have just demonstrated is support can come from so many different spaces and not to also think of support being one thing. Like we need to fill these cups from so many different, um, you know, folks and family members and connectors and all these different people that live and breathe in our own personal ecosystems. They can offer support in different ways. The thing that I learned recently too, is that you have to be your own biggest supporter too. You have to... Um, find a way to have that fire under your butt to keep burning and you have to like feed yourself with positive affirmations or something to keep you moving forward so you can't really always depend on other people to give you that support you got to support yourself too and when you are looking externally I'd love to get both of your experiences where did you find that support if you were looking you know Connor you mentioned um, startup TNT or maybe some of these formal groups that you've connected to where did you go how did you find these networks are they organic are they built are they regional um, and what has sort of come from tapping into those established communities or established supports and that's actually another big challenge too is identifying what support is valuable and what like what what's worth your time you know um, mm. there's almost too much external support out there there's a lot of stuff trying to chip away at our time 
And, and I think uh, and one thing that does uh, a little bit kind of frustrate me about the government support is it doesn't come in the form of dollars. It comes in the form of, of these um, educational groups, you know, and networking. And they talk about what inspirational stories would you like to hear? And I'm like, I'd rather have a check, actually, than hear an inspirational story. Um, you know, so there's kind of too much fluffy support. And so then you've got to really dig in and find the, the, the tangible support money and find the groups that will listen and understand what you're going through and, and want to be a part of the journey with you. And that, that's what I really love is when groups like uh, truly understand what you're doing and they get in it with you a bit, you know, it, it, to the point where they understand what you're building and why and who your customers are and they, they can give you support that way. That's authentic. Like that's like, I love that kind of support. Um, when, so I'd say like starting at the ground level was women entrepreneurs of Saskatchewan here, here in, in Saskatoon and they're based out of Regina as well. They've been, um, they've been a part of my journey for almost a decade, just in other ways. And just a really great group, uh, as well. I like groups, like I like women focused support groups, uh, sometimes, but I also really like general ones too, because I think it's important for women to see how men are supported. And to, if we get too little, too, uh, closed into seeing how women are supported, we get, I think we get, uh, kind of, um, not disillusioned, but we get, we don't get to see, I think we forget what questions really need to be asked because when you see the things that are like, well, when I'm asked in a thing that is guided towards women, what kind of inspirational stories would you like to hear? I guarantee that's not in a survey that men are reading. They're not asking. I can't imagine men being asked what inspirational stories would you like to hear? They don't care, you know? Um, and when I attend like podcasts or not podcasts, like webinars that are like, um, tend to be f that is specifically focused on women. And it's about like, we t end up talking a lot about manifesting, you know, how to manifest money and stuff. I'm like, would men be in a group on a webinar talking about manifesting money? I doubt it. So I think it's just important to always kind of reflect on that. Like, why are we asking ourselves weird questions that wouldn't ask men? And when men, when men ask you, how, how, how can I support women? Well, you can support them the same way you would support men is the, is really the answer. And you would, you know, by writing them a check and by getting invested in their business and not immediately seeing all the barriers they have in front of them, but see the potential ahead of them and, and believe that they can overcome the barriers. It's uh, believing in them, believing in their abilities. That's how you can support women. Exactly the same way men support men and women support men. So, yeah, so some support groups that have been great. Again, WESC, uh, you guys have been act actually fantastic too. I don't know how I came into this Startup Canada world at the very beginning. I feel like I saw a website maybe or TNT maybe shared a link and I was curious. I just click on everything. So I clicked and then I, you know, started following and then you guys invited me to be a part of, be a part of SWAN and there we are. So a lot of support too is not assuming anything. If you aren't open to support, if you're not open to things, you have to say yes. You know, like you're not going to, you're not going to find out. So if you assume it's going to be this way, and so I, I, I try to just say yes to as many things as I can, which takes time, but I only, I only dip my toes in so far to get, you know, I don't get put my whole self into everything because that's ridiculous. But I do try to, to give 
give everybody a you know they can give me a pilot program kind of thing or give me give me the the coles notes of what you're doing and and then we can go from there and and i think um uh nrc irap has been i couldn't be where i am without without them and without daryl Lashinsky. like my my uh ita he he I've known him for a number of years and I had actually worked with him on a different project as well. I didn't get any funding from it, but Daryl, he just, he just believes in me. Like he just, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't know why. Cause I, I think I, I do have merit, but we know. yeah, but he's just <laughs> such a, he just, he listens and he believes in me and he puts his hand up for me when it comes to, when I ask for money, he put, he, he gets in a room and he puts his hand up for me to, to get dollars over to me. And, Without that, I mean, if you don't have that kind of support with with uh, with your you know government connected groups and stuff like NRCI rep has been absolutely instrumental. Um, but also women entrepreneurs, uh, I joined their founders table. I just I said yes to that, and then I found a little startup uh, tech company, and then they built my MVP, and then you know through just kind of asking more questions, and I ended up connecting with a different development group that I I actually knew them already, but they had. They, because being a part of the community, I learned of a new approach they were having with startups. And so now my team is actually sitting in their office and they're just being super supportive. People get kind of like confused. They're like, well, what do they get out of it? I'm like, they're just good people at Levis Tech. Like they just let my team build, be there and they support me. They're not technically getting a lot out of it right now, but they believe in what I'm doing. They believe in the product. They believe they will get, you know, support or, 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 something later on probably but we just do that for each other and i think that's a bit of a saskatoon thing too but we just yeah. if you if you give yourself to other people without any ask you know that's the most important support i think and then and if you just if you don't need anything to come back to you and it, it might come back to you it probably will maybe in a different form but but if you don't need it you just give you know give to others i just think the good things will come and uh yeah, my tax has been uh, important as well. They they were more difficult uh, to to get through their their very uh, long process. I didn't realize how long it would take and kind of the hurdles uh, to get through that. But if you give yourself enough time, it is valuable contribution as well. So just make sure anybody uh, that's looking to to work with my tax is just give themselves a few months runway ahead of time. Yeah, so. Venture for Canada is another one. They're an interesting group. Um, it, it's hit and miss, of course, because it's a lot of young people, the students, and you know, um, and, and they don't they they don't have that seasoned kind of you know backing behind them or that that background. So they they need a lot of learning. So you got to take those kinds of things like taking on interns and taking on really junior staff for an early stage startup. Ironically probably isn't a good idea because we don't have the bandwidth for the nurturing and for the coaching that those candidates need. So, um, yeah, so it's almost like a mid-level or, or later stage startup would find more value in, in an intern. Whereas uh, early stage, you got to find, you know, people that can hit the ground running and don't need you to hold their hand very much. So yeah, it's quite a, quite an interesting mix how, how support comes into play, but yeah. 
and you've made an excellent point that there is so much out there. Like we hear this from founders all the time that it's, it's not, um, uh, I, it, it's more questions. I don't know what is the right support for me versus there is no support available for me. And how do you spend that time and energy and, you know, go through a program when it might not have been the right fit and just all of that invested energy in, yeah. um, in, yeah, just figuring out what, what is going to yield the best result for you. Um, it's a beautiful challenge. I think we have in Canada looking internationally, people don't have this problem. True, yeah. <laughs> too many programs and too many resources, but you've got to sift through a lot of noise. Yeah. That's well, especially when it comes to grants too, like what grants, because yeah. you have to really like, if it's like some grants are designed to be like, take hours to fill out. And it's if, if the, if the pool is too big and the, and the amount of money is too low, does that, you know, you have to really weigh out, like you, you only have so many hours in the day. Do you put your time into that grant? Like, what are your chances and what's, uh, yeah. And then what are they looking for? Really, really invest, investigate who has won those grants before, what stages they were at. If you, if it's possible, because a lot of them are not that actually that interested in very early stage startups. They want to see a lot of traction, a lot of metrics and, and stuff. So that's what I found from a lot of, um, uh, like angel investors and, and syndicates and, um, like prairies can to, they want you to be two years old before they'll talk to you, you know, and, and sort of, and I, but yeah, a lot of them just want you to be fairly far along. So you have to be, if you'd go on this journey, you have to be prepared to hustle and grind and, and, and bootstrap, um, and get those family and friend dollars in to keep you getting into, into that space where, now you can be like people uh, will pay attention to you. So it, it can take time for, and every business is different to how long that takes. Yeah. Natasha, where have you found support resources, you know, mentors, connectors? Um, how have you built this community around you that's helped you really grow this business and put it on the map? To find support, you have to be open to whatever. Running a business, you have to be open to whatever is thrown at you any ideas and whatever like that like <clears throat> for me I'm like a very introverted person but once I started my business and started doing these fashion shows I pushed myself to like go out of my comfort zone to open up to other people and tell them about uh, why I started my business my dreams and goals and because I've told them that, they uh, gave me ideas, like other find sources, other places kind of thing. So it's kind of like just coming out of your comfort zone and pushing yourself, putting yourself out there, and then you'll find somebody that would help you as a support system. Um, and also like doing your research on like where you want to go in your business because when I first started this, I took up a, a business, a boot camp here in Whitehorse. And it was a six-week boot camp. So once a week, once or twice a week, we all like come together and visit and kind of like just um, brainstorm like an idea of why you want this business to become a business or your idea kind of thing. And that kind of helped me open my door of like, I'm, I'm creating a business without knowing kind of thing. And that led me to another program called the Incubate North 
here in Whitehorse and I've been taking that program and the people that I've been working with there, I visit them like once a week and I also tell them about my goals and all of that stuff and they try to find other sources for support to help me build my business like for me I'm like amazing on the art part of the like the business where I kind of have trouble with the business side but I'm pushing myself like I've gotten like 10 times better than I was like two years ago and last year and you know just having that sense of like being open with other people's ideas and pushing yourself it really goes a long way and like I mentioned too before like just talking to posting a random post on my social media about like my struggles that I've overcome that's another way of support too like some people reach out to me and suggest things and stuff like that like there's many ways that you could get it and find it you just got to be open to it and when we look at the supports that might need to change or that we do need more of or the overall ecosystem for entrepreneurs that are navigating the beginning of their business connor you flagged you know really important um challenge i think we hear a lot is that you know there's not a lot for early stage you have to be in business for at least a year or two years or demonstrate the traction or um you know those different elements when you think about women entrepreneurs in particular are there you know recommendations or things that you would sort of highlight or if you could wave a magic wand and change um are there areas that you think we need to be better supported in when we think about access when we think about you know how to build these really fantastic businesses and what would ultimately make a more equitable experience for women identifying founders what would be that magic wand change that you would want connor and then natasha i'll pass it to you so many things (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah well so I, i mentioned that uh the educational aspect is Um, education is important, but I think there needs to be more structure with how educational programs are, are created. They need to be built in a growth, uh, a growth structure so that they intake you like, kind of like, like high school or like, like the school system, but obviously way better, but like, and a more way faster. Um, but you don't put someone in like that's in kindergarten or like, or sorry, that someone in grade 11, you don't teach them a curriculum that a grade one is teaching, you know, but most stuff, most of these programs for women are foundational stuff. They're marketing 101. They're how to build a business plan. They're, you know, bookkeeping 101. What is financing debt versus equity? Many, anybody I know, we're so well past that. We don't need the one-on-one-on-ones of everything. What we need is something that we could like jump in at the place we feel is this, the was where we're at and then get growth from there. But nothing, everything is always structured as here you, you have like grade one and then there's no other grades after it. Now you're on your own. You know, I would like to see something like, um, more accelerators that are structured and they don't have to be entirely for women, but they need to have an equal opportunity for women to be engaged with them. They need to be designed so that, um, 
uh, women are, uh, it's, but it's, it's all unconscious biases is a lot of it too, though, right? Is I don't know how you fix that and, and how you make people conscious of their biases and try to overcome them. Um, but it, they, we need more programs that are, instead of having 50 programs that all do one-on-one, one-on-one things, how about we have like three that, you know, do actually accelerate and grow us in a growth model and then launch us, you know, and actually while we're through that too, we get paired with mentors that match exactly who we are as people and match what we're doing and match what the, 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 um, the type of business we're building because they've built something like that before, you know, a mentor process as you're growing through, we don't need a mentor necessarily right at the beginning. Um, and maybe it'll would change, but it needs to be more built like long standing accelerators that maybe even are two years long. Like there's no programs like that that are two years long. They're all about six weeks They're boot camps, you know, and I mean, you can digest a lot, but a lot of times though, when you go into one of those accelerators, so, your, your 20 different companies all at different stages and yet it's all taught at the exact same curriculum. So everybody gets something very different out of it. But if we have something built more of like an educational program where I'm not going to start at grade one, like, you know, I'll start, you know, at uh, maybe it, it goes through kind of like a uh, grade 11 or whatever. And then I can get that extra bit, but also to just more checks, more money directly written for women. Like what are we getting? Like 2% of, of, of funding typically. So how about we just literally change that conversation uh, and, and give more money to women. And like, so here in Saskatchewan, there's a, this thing called the Clarence Campo development fund. It is such a cool structure. It's a hundred thousand dollars. It's only for Métis people though. So it's designed to actually change uh, and give a, a very different um, uh, structure, uh, just a really nice benefit for for people, Métis people, to really change the landscape of the funding that they they typically have access to. Like it's just dramatic dramatic change. It's not an it, there's an educational component to it too, but it's also just a, a, a straight up loan. It's a hundred thousand dollars, no interest, ten year repayment. Exactly. Like it's designed to be beneficial. It's, it's entirely designed for, to give people, you know, not something that uh, is, is, you know, 10% interest and a two year repayment, like, like the, you know, some things and and only $15,000 not to throw Delia under the bus, but like that kind of thing. Like, it's just, well, why do you package it like exactly like a loan and to be $15,000 isn't anywhere near enough and there's interest in a two-year repayment, like, come on, how about we actually position, struck, position these funding uh, to, to, you know, push us into be benefit, to truly be beneficial, like kind of not over the top, but just, but over the top, <laughs> you know, where, where we actually, you know, shift the scale. And uh, that, that's what I'd really like to see. And I, I'd like to see more funding, uh, direct funding to women. I'd like to see a lot of them not be, have, have questions like not be so, um, stringent to in, in their, their streams. They all, they, cause then a lot of things are decided without women's involvement as well. They're decided the government will go and say, well, but they have to fit into one of these five streams. Why? Why does it have to fit in one of these five streams, which, you know, many women's businesses won't fit into? Or why do we have to spend like, you know, 40 hours filling out an application? Why do we have like just why are there so many freaking barriers? 
Like the, anytime there's money, it's just like, but we're going to put 30 barriers in front of you to getting it. Good luck. You know? Okay. So yeah, th that's kind of the, the gist of what I'd like to see changed. <laughs> I love, well, so a continuum of support yeah. that is, yeah, yeah a bit, bit more custom um, and not just as introductory. Like, I think that's such an important point. And also in the conversations we have around women-led ventures, they are scalable. Yeah. We need to name that. We need to recognize that and not just think of, you know, women-led ventures being these small, you know, just the language that we use, that it's, you know, a side hustle or, you know, it's a hobby that I have or, yeah. you know, we need to empower women to use the language to, to share that their businesses are very scaled you know, profitable ventures. Well, and actually that's something I, I would like to see um, kind of differentiated as well is is not to to relegate them exactly out of it, but if it is truly a side hustle and if it is truly a, a business that isn't going to be scaled, if it isn't, if it's like, you know, um, a Tupperware business or an M, like an MLM or something like that, or I don't want those businesses taking up valuable space of businesses like Natasha and I's that are scalable, that are, I will call real businesses, you know, that aren't kind of like home-based in that sense, you know, I, I do work from home, but, but, um, you know, like I, I think too, sometimes the, the waters get muddied with businesses that aren't actually real businesses. And I think they take up the too much of the space and we, we do need to actually kind of be, um, more strategic and what we're putting our time and money into. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Kind of comparing apples now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I yeah, know with the MLMs in particular, that's yeah. Bit of a different beast. Is, <laughs> yes. Not forever. No. <laughs> <laughs> Natasha, what about you? What would be your recommendations if you could wave a magic wand and increase support or increase financing or change some structure when it comes to the support that you would want for your business? What would that be? So from personal experience, um, I would say do research before you start your business as it's a very competitive, uh, I say it's competitive no matter what industry you're in. Uh, prior to starting my business, I didn't know it was as competitive and harsh before I started it. And when I jumped into it and I saw how crazy it was. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> so like just doing your research on before doing something is very important. And then <clears throat> mental health, like more mental more health, health resources, resources. because mm -hmm. like I said, last year I hit burnout and there was like a few people that had told me to slow down, you're going to burn out. I'm like, no, I'm not going to. I'm like, I got this, blah, blah, blah. But you really do hit burnout. Um, and yeah. it was really hard for me to crawl out of that. Like I hit it really hard. And it's no joke when you, when you in that stage, um, <clears throat> but you're, when you're running your own business, like you're always alone doing stuff. You're always thinking, and there's not that very much mental health sources out there to like have that awareness, you know what I mean? Um, so that's one big important thing that I notice in my industry. Um, when I went to New York this past September, um, there was this fashion designer that came from Australia 
and she's kind of in that department of bringing awareness of the mental health too in the fashion industry <clears throat> which is pretty amazing and before she had before I even met her I um I thought I was going crazy like <laughs> I'm like why am I feeling this like this and that like, I kind of feel depressed and like I go up and down but I, I didn't know what was going on until I met this woman and then she told me all of the things like you're not you're always by yourself doing this business and it's good to have your mental health checked on a lot more than it's that it is now yeah no and I think especially on the mental health side having someone else name it or give you the language to even talk about your own mental health as an entrepreneur I've seen um, you know, we're talking a lot about it in the last couple of years, you know, throw in the pandemic, throw in these like crazy, you know, catastrophic world events that are happening as well. There's a tremendous amount of weight and responsibility and trauma and, and everything going on. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Like a lot of people just look at you and think you have your stuff all together, um, but in reality, you're in the backstage, you're like stressing mm -hmm. out and like, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it is. I, I think mental health, there's two sides to it as well. Uh, in one way, I think we, you're right. I do think we need more support for when mental health is failing, you know, uh, or when our mental health, you know, we need to be caught. But I actually think we should never get there. If we had more support building businesses and it wasn't so freaking stressful, and it's stressful because of money, because of runway, because of chasing every freaking squirrel to see if it's going to pan out to, 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 to pay out in some way. It's, it's such a cluttered and difficult thing. And it, in a way, a lot of times you feel like it's designed that way. They, even these accelerators and, and incubators and stuff, they're designed to, to ramp you up as fast as possible. And even venture capitalists are designed, like they put so much money into you too. If, if you do go that route that you have to scale an entire multinational business in six years, like everything is designed to, to kind of, to push you to your limit. And I think that's kind of a problem. Why? Why do we, why is, first of all, if you're not getting a lot of support, why, why is everything structured to be just so darn hard? you know, to build businesses in this, in this first world country, supposedly, you know, why do we have, why don't we support this built on the backs of small businesses? And yet it is incredibly hard to build a small business in Canada. We are not built in any way, shape or form to truly support small businesses. We tax small businesses from day one, we have to have licenses from day one. We have to do our own books, our own accounting. We have to uh, incorporate, if we incorporate federally, we have to have tax, we have to put um, like Manitoba, BC, uh, was it BC and Saskatchewan all have to have, we have to register in each of those provinces for their taxes. That's just silly. You know, like, why don't we just pay taxes for it? Why isn't everybody HST? You know, I don't know. It's just, but there's just so many other things too. And like, we each have to be our own marketer. Nothing is subsidized. We don't have, it's just, it's just all, there's no packaging. It's all, we're all just on our own to build these businesses. And then, when we, if we do survive and build it to be a big corporation, well, now the government is just all with us and, you know, gives us tax credits and gives us, uh, you know, um, income tax reimbursements and, and all that. Then, then they start nurturing you once you've become a pretty big deal, you know. 
but we don't have any support to actually nurture little businesses from out of the nest and and it baffles me so i think if we just you know supported our small businesses in canada a lot better we wouldn't have such mental health uh, catastrophe that we that we see That's so often. A really unique perspective, Connor. I, I I never actually thought about it that way, but it, it is one of those things that if we if we understand business and small business in particular being this essential ingredient to our economies, to our countries, to, to you know the communities that we live and breathe in, why aren't we resourcing them appropriately? And we see this consequence. You're totally right. The proof is in the pudding. Like we see this massive shift in mental health. We yeah. see people struggling so much throw in inflation, throw in, you know, all these other elements that are, are constantly getting worse. And it feels like that burden is, is just feeling heavier and heavier. Um, how do we expect a different outcome yeah. if that foundation doesn't change? Um, it's, it's such a challenging and, you know, exactly. where does that advocacy start and end? I think we hear this, you know, with Swan and we want to get these perspectives across the country from incredible women entrepreneurs building these fabulous businesses. Um, but sometimes it does feel incredibly defeating to be coming up against these massive systemic, huge structural changes that ultimately we know are not supporting us. Um, where they need to, and where do you start? Like that's it's it does feel Herculean to even you know take that first step. Natasha, what's your sense of things in the Yukon? We had the pleasure of you know actually physically being up in Whitehorse and seeing you know incredible businesses like yours in action and getting to know the ecosystem a little bit better when we were on tour in April. Um, and I was actually very pleasantly surprised with the support that I saw when when coming up there. But I can totally appreciate this frustration. We saw so many unbelievable founders, but if I was not physically in Whitehorse that week or doing research or trying to find these stories, where would be you know, my entry point to even knowing what your products and services are? Um, there was sort of this divide that I felt was so unfortunate and, and that we were so excited about you know, spreading nationally of telling all these great stories and using our podium at Startup Canada to showcase that. What's your perspective on, on the community in the Yukon? Do you think that they're you know, there's a lot of movement, there's growth, there's positivity, or do you still think there's really a chronic lack of both representation and support? Well, being so far north, we're very limited with a lot of uh, educational purposes. Um, <clears throat> well, I wouldn't say a lot, but for my industry as a fashion designer, there's only one school in the Yukon. I think it's in Dawson, I, I'm, I think, I'm thinking of. But I would like to see more of the fashion industry here in the Yukon. Um, I'd like to see more like modeling for like First Nations and more stuff like that, where if I were wanting to get the schooling that I'm looking at, I would have to move to Vancouver for a couple of years to get that education and be away from home and perhaps take my daughter with me and have her away from family too. And that's like a big struggle. Um, and just, that's like the biggest one. It's just the, the lack of having those kinds of things here being so far north. Yeah, it's a, it feels like every region has its own sort of, there's, there's too much of this in this one region, but not enough in this region. And, you know, it's almost like you just need to start from a blank slate and just sort of approach this whole ecosystem from the ground up because, uh, yeah, there's less education up north, but there's a tremendous amount, you know, 
in Ottawa or, you know, wherever else in Halifax or in other spaces, um, that distribution of opportunity does not feel equal in Canada. No, um, and- no, it definitely isn't. I definitely feel like Saskatchewan, the prairies, we get ignored a lot. I mean, that's why Alberta's doing the whole Wexit thing, which is stupid, but still, it's just, but I under, I kind of understand their sentiment in some ways, because it's like, stop ignoring us. Like, stop, like, yeah, we don't have the population weight that, you know, Montreal or like Quebec and Ontario have, and it just feels like, again, it's a political thing, right? It's all, where does the weight of, uh, that's where we need proportional uh, proportional caring and pro- proportional voting, proportional everything. If we don't support our entire country, then it's, I don't know, it's just really unfair and it's really kind of ridiculous. Like you have politicians that just have no idea what Saskatchewan has to offer. And it holds, if you think about it too, what, there was a book I was reading and it, they mentioned too that when you, when you help, you know, um, when impoverished people are less impoverished, it actually benefits everybody, you know? And if that's the thing, like if, if Saskatchewan was less uh, ignored, like was more supported and we had businesses more supported and Manitoba too and territories, if we approached Canada as a proportional whole, you know, in a lot um, more fair, economical and um, understanding and caring kind of way, all of Canada would benefit. But when we, you know, segment out, well, this is where all the voters are. Therefore, we're only going to care about these two regions. And, you know, everybody else can just figure it out for themselves. All of Canada ends up suffering. The voters, the, 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 the votes, the politicians do fine because they get their votes. But all of Canada doesn't do fine with that. And so it's suff- everybody else suffers except for the one political party that wins. And, and that's, that's, I find the, one of the most frustrating things about how things have gone, um, lately is, is we're just, yeah, we're just not designed well to, to, for growth and for, to, this could be such an amazing country. And yet we, we kind of uh, shoot ourselves in the, in both feet, uh, with a lot of things and how we do things. It's one of those things that like entrepreneurship to me is like a nonpartisan issue. Like it's like business and then small business, big business, tech, yeah. every type of industry. Like the more we support our founders, the more we support our people. Like it, it really yeah. does come down to that. And it's good for the economy. It's good for the growth of yeah. you know, our countries, our role in the global economy. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it feels to me, I mean, that's why I live and breathe I mean, entrepreneurship though, right? Yeah. And that's why we do. But if we saw that, if a politician actually did that and then they saw the growth of their economy in their term, then it would be beneficial to them too. Cause they could show, look at how much my, my party grew, you know, then they get the votes. They wouldn't necessarily, you know, yeah, it's just, it's short sighted. And that's, that again is a political thing. They see everything in four year terms and uh, you know, they start uh, tearing down what everybody else did in the first year, doing their own thing for two years. And then the third year is all about vying for the next term. And that's just how we have such short-term thinking. And uh, until that changes, I think that's the foundational change we need to see mm. uh, for for everything else to be able to spin up better around it. Yeah. But I don't know how you begin that. Yeah. <laughs> the advocacy yeah. here. It's interesting that we're coming back to just having your voice heard and the, the, the yeah. real power of not just speaking, but actually being listened to. And the nuance yeah. there. Yes. We really need to get our decision makers holding space for the experience of founders, truly embedding that perspective into the policies that they're making um, and yeah. knowing that there will be such a strong ROI, right? Like if we come back to the business case of it, 
um, we can definitely attribute, especially investing in women and, you know, creating these better supportive pieces of infrastructure. It's going to have such incredible, tangible benefit that we can measure and really point to. Exactly. Uh, but well, tourism itself is a $96 billion industry just in Canada. And about 95% of it is small businesses. So if we get better at supporting small businesses in Canada, uh, like, and there's other, in lots of industries are like that too, but tourism is just a massive industry, multi, you know, segmented and stuff. And, but yeah, if we got better at supporting small businesses and turning like one little business, just doubling each of their revenue, just, you know, 100,000 a year to $200,000 a year, whatever. If we got to, we're able to creep up all of our small businesses, our economy would be out of control. It'd just be amazing. But yeah, but, but then I think that's the first thing our government needs to do. If we can't fix the politics, then let's just, let's just try and really support small businesses and get to that, get to our, our baseline. Sing it, sing it, sing it. I want to wrap up with any, you know, final thoughts, recommendations, things you want heard um, from our audience and maybe some decision makers that might also be listening to today's episode. We do have lots of folks in Ottawa who listen to Startup Canada and are connected to us. So you might be falling on uh, some political ears. If I was, if it's, if it's tech startups that I'm talking to, if it's, if it's a lot of like that type of people really go into starting a business eyes wide open. Like Natasha said, do a lot of research really get to your core foundation. I would say to like, um, so I, I want to, I know it's going to kind of go back to the, the teaching a little bit, but before you embark on this journey, know what you're getting into. Most of, not all of it though, because you need to be somewhat naive and in order to keep going, cause you don't, don't try and do all the whole, all of it all at once. Every day is a new journey. And, uh, but you, you'd really need to do your research, understand the foundational elements of what you're doing put together a business plan, spend 60 hours on that, really understand what your idea is and ask yourself a lot of hard questions. And if you can answer those hard questions, then you might have something there. And if it's a good answers, then you might have something there. Cause you, you'll actually go through a lot of iterations just in the business plan. Um, but yeah, but I think too, if you believe in yourself, you're the only one that will fully believe in, in, in this thing along the way. So you'll get peppered the entire journey with negativity or with, with um, not actually, it's not really negativity. It's, it's kind of as a whole, it sort of is, but, but it's more just um, a doubt. You just get chipped away at with doubt, you know, uh, throughout it. And people have all kinds of ideas for you. And, and some of them are great. Always, always take that just to bring it here. Just don't take it in, put it on your table though. Look at it, assess it, take what you need out of it. Take the ideas, let your brain go with it. Don't take it to heart and then dismiss the rest. Never lose yourself in the journey because if you just keep taking everybody else's ideas and you put yourself aside, then you're never going to succeed because you are the whole reason you're doing this. Build your business, build your idea, believe in it and don't stop because if I, I listen to about 300 stories of startups, the only reason all of them were, are what they are now uh, really big businesses is they didn't stop. They kept going, they fought through, they hustled, they ground, you know, ground their way through tough times. But, but yeah, the takeaway is don't lose yourself in this journey. Take care of yourself, love your people, you know, and love yourself through it. Give, be gracious with yourself and uh, and get it done. Wow. 
I have to echo what she said. <laughs> um, it is very important to understand why you're starting your business. If you don't have that understanding and you just go for it, it's just going to fail, I find. Yep. And always take time for yourself. Self-care is important. That way you can push back from your business and reflect on how far you've come and where you want to go. And <clears throat> being open with everyone around you and people that you meet, be open with them, be open-minded, open-hearted, soak in whatever you can get because you're learning every day. The day that you wake up to the day you go to bed, you're always learning something. You just, like what Connor said, you take what you need from that plate and you absorb it, you know? What, what can you use that to help you build your business? And if you're not learning every damn day in this journey, you're not an entrepreneur. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. That is true. <laughs>Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast, where we are committed to telling the stories of women entrepreneurs and uncovering actionable advice that goes beyond the surface level. The Startup Women podcast is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles. Visit startupcan.ca to explore the Startup Women flagship program and access advisory support and free resources. Be sure to check out the show notes to access important links, resources, and information that we mentioned during today's episode. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another episode next month.